Facebook is finally moving to block QAnon pages from its platforms. But of course, there's loopholes. A Texas county is charging Netflix with lewd content involving a child. And filmmaker and artist Miranda July is here to talk about her new movie, Kajillionaire. The date, October 7th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Casey, everything is absolutely bonkerballs <laughs> right now. I can, Before we actually like get into the news, can I just run through like a list of things that we could have talked about today that just... All right, so... Uh, so a court ruled that a neo-Nazi party in Greece called Golden Dawn is actually a criminal organization. Joe Biden gave a huge speech about racial justice and law and order at Gettysburg. There's a war brewing between Armenia and Azerbaijan that we just have not had time to talk about. Trump is promoting Russian intelligence to say that Russian interference in 2016 was a hoax. The Texas Supreme Court blocked Houston election officials from sending mail-in ballot applications to 2 million voters. ICE arrested over 100 people in California as part of a roundup ahead of the election. And Trump aged defense. Miller has the coronavirus. All of that happened. That is all stuff that happened in like the last 24 hours. It is a time we live in a time. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a society question mark. Ah, oh, geez. Uh, so I, I, we could have chosen from any of those today to talk about, but after all that time for today's top stories, here's what you need to know. First, a report from the New York Times shows that the Department of Justice not only knew that a 2018 zero-tolerance immigration policy would separate kids from their parents on the border, that was the entire point all along. The DOJ's inspector general has been looking into that decision to prosecute any and all people who illegally crossed the border, even if they had kids. The Times got a hold of a draft of his report, and it is damning to say the least. Among the things we learned is that then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions straight up told federal lawyers, quote, we need to take away children. Rod Rosenstein, who was then the Deputy Attorney General, said a week later that it didn't matter how young the kids were. The result was a program that wound up separating nearly 3,000 children from their parents, giving us audio like this clip ProPublica released back in June 2018. After the mass protests against the policy and difficulties in reuniting the children back with their parents, DOJ has tried to put the blame firmly on the Department of Homeland Security. But this new report says that the Justice Department's push was the driving force behind the separations. And the program was actually secretly piloted as early as 2017 along the Texas border. The Times story includes this line from a prosecutor's email to his superiors, quote, we have now heard of us taking breastfeeding defendant moms away from their infant. I did not believe this until I looked at the duty log. Meanwhile, Facebook has finally decided to take action against QAnon, banning all Q content from its platforms, including Instagram. If you somehow missed it, congratulations, but as a refresher, QAnon is a mass delusion that believes a secret government mole is leaking information about a satanic cabal of celebrities and deep state officials that's trafficking children for sex reasons. The trafficking kids part has really caught fire this summer, leading to a mainstreaming of the movement and being picked up casually by Instagram influencers. Oh, also, it's uh, all very super anti-Semitic at its core. Facebook has taken action against QAnon before, especially accounts that have called for violence. But this time it says it will, quote, 
remove any Facebook pages, groups, and Instagram accounts representing QAnon, even if they contain no violent content. One BBC journalist said that of the activity he's been tracking on Facebook, almost 200 groups and 150 pages have been shut down since last week. But as The Guardian's Julie Carey Wong points out, there are also loopholes. That includes Instagram accounts having to ID themselves as being QAnon supporters, leaving space for influencers to post about the conspiracy under their own names. Interestingly enough, that move from Facebook came on the same day that a House of Representatives subcommittee investigation accused it of enjoying monopoly power. That report says that Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple have all acted to box out competition and remain utterly dominant in their respective spaces of social media, online shopping, web search, and smartphones. And finally, millions of Americans are left in the lurch as President Trump announced that he is a dunzo negotiating with Democrats over a new COVID aid package. Earlier in the day yesterday, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell had a pretty dire warning while speaking at the National Association for Business Economics. Powell basically said that a lot more fiscal stimulus is needed to keep the U.S. economy from tanking, saying, quote, weakness feeds on weakness. But then Trump announced via Twitter that there will be no stimulus package before the election. And he took credit for the end of the talk, saying, quote, I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election, when immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small business. Instead, he's asked the Senate GOP to focus on getting his Supreme Court pick, Amy Coney Barrett, on the bench. The stock market immediately took a dive after Trump's announcement, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropping 240 points. But then, late last night, in a huge Twitter bender that he is still on as we are recording this, Trump called for passing $25 billion for airline payroll support and $135 billion for Paycheck Protection Program uh, for small business. He also tagged congressional leadership and his own chief of staff in a tweet calling for another round of $1,200 checks as a standalone bill. As a reminder, the unemployment rate is currently 7.9%, with 26 million people receiving unemployment benefits as of last month. I mean, I want to say that it's like truly wild that he's pushing on, you know, getting his Supreme Court on the nominee on the bench instead of, you know, giving Americans relief. But it, I guess it's not wild. I mean, uh, it's it tracks in the sense that Trump has always wanted the GOP to spend more money in these bills, but he doesn't want any of the money to go to anywhere that would help Democrats like, you know, big cities and states run by a Democratic governor. And because they want these crazy things, he's saying no to any more negotiations until after the election. Yeah. Um. OK, I also want to talk about sessions why did he say the quote we need to take away children yeah the thinking was like as a deterrent from immigrants showing up if they know that if you show up at the border with a kid and you will be separated then that'll keep people from wanting to cross the border that was the whole thinking behind the plan that was clear at the time but this report really just shows how much that informed every decision my god there's also like a very big difference between like you know, taking someone's lollipop away and taking someone's child away. My right? God. 
for sure. And uh, apparently some lawyers thought, oh, well, it'll just be a couple of hours where they'll at most, well, these parents be separated from their kids. But they didn't realize that the huge backlog they'd create would mean like it would be days sometimes before those parents got a hearing even. So days before they could be reunited with their kids and they weren't tracking them properly. So yeah, huge mess, huge mess. Like it really took me, reading that really took me back to that summer because it was all we could talk about at the time. All right, Casey, uh, what's happening in pop culture? (laughs) Well, for starters, a grand jury in Texas indicted Netflix over its promotion of the movie Cuties. This movie has been caught up in controversy for months now, but if you haven't heard of it, it's a French movie about an 11-year-old from Senegal who joins a dance team when she moves to France. Critics have loved the story that's about the ways that girls about to hit puberty are told so many conflicting things about themselves and their bodies. But the movie's plot has fallen by the wayside as people have criticized Netflix's promo and trailer that focuses on the young girls shimmying and dancing in tight costumes. So the filmmaker wasn't consulted on any of this, and Netflix apologized, but not before scolds conservative politicians like Texas Senator Ted Cruz and our friends with QAnon got a hold of it calling the movie basically child porn. Now, a small county in East Texas has charged Netflix with, quote, promotion of lewd visual material depicting a child, according to the Texas Tribune. If convicted, Netflix would be on the hook for a fine of up to $20,000. That's not much for a giant like Netflix, but the Tribune says, quote, if the court further finds that the company benefited financially from a crime, the penalties can increase to twice the amount earned. But here's an interesting twist. Tyler County District Attorney Lucas Babin, who brought the charges, is the son of U.S. Representative Brian Babin, one of the loudest voices critiquing the movie. I I really wish people would actually watch this film. It's, it seems to me like nobody has watched this movie who is actually yelling about it. I know, you know, and it went all throughout Sundance and stuff like that. But, you know, it makes me like, you know, mad with Netflix because I feel like that does happen. That happens with a lot of people. Like when you make trailers and stuff like that, you're like, what's the catchiest thing I can get from this? And then it's like, OK, it also has to be like indicative of what the movie actually is about. And like it clearly everything was lost in translation here. Every single thing, like uh, one person who really loved the movie. It was the Washington Post uh, Global Opinions editor, Karen Ataya, who watched the movie and was like, no, this is great. I love seeing this like immigrant story. I love seeing how hard it is to like figure out like which message you should take away, like be a little girl and demure, but also you're growing up into a woman and your body is not your own property to deal with anymore. It's so watch the movie people before you get all super heated about it also i it's going to be fascinating to see does this case actually go forward in court like will netflix just like eat the cost of like you know what f it or will they send like one of their highest power powered lawyers possible to texas man i don't know but you know part of me says maybe they'll just eat it 20k is not much for netflix Not at all, though I do wonder how much the movie has earned since its release. Well, that's the thing, though, if you go forward with it like that. So maybe they'll uh, maybe like a settlement is the way for them to like go forward with this, you know, before it's taken any further. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And moving on to happier news involving kids. We have a couple of celebrity baby announcements that I feel are very much worth mentioning. First, Destiny's Child singer Kelly Rowland is pregnant with her second child. She announced the news in a totally normal, chill, relatable way, a cover shoot with Women's Health magazine. In the picture, she's showing off her bump on the beach in several looks, all of them fabulous. But uh, my personal favorite is the crop top because, uh, yes, more pregnant women in crop top looks, please. 
She told Women's Health that she and her husband, Tim Poole, actually decided to go for baby number two because of the pandemic. They'd been talking about it in a loose way before finally deciding, let's see what happens. She's about five months along as of right now. And Megan Trainer and her husband, Daryl Sabara of Spy Kids fame, announced on the Today Show that they're expecting their first kid. She told Hoda Copy and Jenna Bush Hager while sitting in her Christmas-decorated living room with matching t-shirts with Hoda's face on them, might I add, that she is super excited. Did you see it? We're proud of Oh my gosh! Oh. Are you kidding? She apparently told E! News last year that she was really hoping for triplets to just, you know, get the whole big family thing out of the way in one go. That sounds like a terrible plan, but you know, more power to you. I'm just happy that a baby is happening. Like, good for them. Great. I get the logic, but I will tell you right now what makes zero sense in my brain is that uh, Daryl Sabara from Spy Kids, he plays the younger brother. One of the main characters in a childhood movie from my childhood is going to have a child. <laughs> I, they're going to be great parents. It's fine. They're so young. They'll really relate to their kids. Listen, they definitely like will, but it's more of just the fact of like he will forever be the same age. So this is a big this is a big problem for my brain right now. Now I'm picturing him in the Spy Kids movies holding a baby like, look, it's my son. (laughs) I'm going to write in to every studio (laughs) and say that we need a Spy Kids revival now that they have their own kids. I really think it's a good idea. (laughs) It's true. I see it. I love it. We'll get everyone involved again right up to Antonio Banderas. We'll grab Steve Buscemi, Alan Cumming, just all everyone. (laughs) Everyone come back. For Spy Kids, what is it? Four? And Alexa Vega. And Alexa Vega, duh, clearly. I want I want Spy Kids 100, and that's my final <laughs> stance. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we've got screenwriter and director Miranda July with us. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. 
To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Welcome back. Remember two years ago, that distant time when we all lived through the summer of scam? It felt like every few weeks we were learning about some new hustle that was being pulled on the rich. But not every hustle is as luxe, and not every hustler even really wants to be in the game. We're joined by the writer and director of the new movie, Kajillionaire, Miranda July. Good afternoon. Hi. So this movie focuses on the Dines, a family of minor scam artists, basically, who are just barely making anything close to ends meet. When did you first come up with the concept behind this movie? I mean, it came to me all at once when I woke up one morning, but that's kind of a cheat. I would say it took my whole life to have that all at once moment, which included like watching a lot of Mission Impossible TV shows as a kid and then being kind of a punk scam person, low-level criminal myself, best a chapter forgotten. But suffice to say, like it was always there in my back pocket. I just in a way needed a reason, you know, I needed like an emotional heist story big enough, you know, to bring it into its purpose. Mm. So yeah, like you mentioned, uh, you know, you might've pulled off a scam or two in your own time. Can you tell us any that uh, don't incriminate you too much? (laughs) I mean, I, uh, okay, here's, here's one. I used to, um, sometimes like you go into a, a place that has a lost and found and you say, you know, I, I think I left my cardigan here as like a black button up. Um, and if they have one, you're like, oh, there it is. Thank you so much. <laughs> and they don't, you know, no harm. My, my friend used to do that with hotels and phone chargers. Like she didn't have right. one. She would just go to a hotel front desk and say, I think I left my phone charger here. It was an iPhone. Right. Oh, you have a bunch of them. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I know that one I feel like is harmless enough that no one's going to come after me if I yeah. <laughs> so yeah usually I feel like when we see movies about con artists and heist they're trying to score big make millions or scam the ultra wealthy but the, the scams that this family pulls off are all relatively low stakes and extremely deglamorized why why that choice well I mean they're sort of doing this thing that they consider like it's kind of like skimming off capitalism. And I wanted it to not really hold water, you know, to the point where you're like, wait, is that even like, are they getting anything out of that? You know, they're returning like a massage gift certificate, you know, (laughs) to the point where their radicalism maybe is, is like calcified into something that's more just rigidity, which makes room for a seemingly more conventional character to, you know, actually be quite groundbreaking. I'm thinking of Gina Rodriguez's character, Melanie. In the movie, Evan Rachel Wood and Gina Rodriguez play the leads, Old Dolio and Melanie. It's explained in the movie that Old Dolio's name is taken from an elderly lotto winner in hopes of her getting some of that luck. But where did you come up with that name? That came to my friend in a dream, (laughs) which I... She texted me. She just had a dream that I had given birth to 10 kittens and then she wrote all their names down. And one of the names was old Dolio. Another one was marijuana. Um, (laughs) 
I didn't go with marijuana, but I did think, oh, that's it. That's somebody. That's a good name. So it feels like throughout the movie, Evan Rachel Wood's character, she spends a lot of time struggling to create some sense of warmth or family with her parents who are played by Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger. Where did the inspiration for that dynamic come from? Mm, that, that kind of untouched. I mean, I think it's like, like, obviously that's not my family, but I think I took parts of myself and just, if I had no other parts, then she would be like the purest form of this kind of inborn loneliness. And I am kind of Victorian, like someone touches my hand and I'm like, oh my God, like we just had, we just had sex. (laughs) (laughs) So I, yeah, I thought, I mean, of course I remember doubting that calibration and thinking like, wait, there's like sex in movies like no one's gonna this is I understand this this language of intimacy but will anyone else and then of course the pandemic happened and like that's now in a way a quite accessible part of the movie yeah uh so some of Aldola's attempts to have this sort of bond are almost unfortunately funny was there something about this relationship that you were trying to convey that made it easier to tell their story through humor through the very like you sort of gags that are in this film yeah I mean that was my experience of writing it honestly I like I had such a good time writing the dialogue and I would be laughing I would come home every day and say to Mike, like this, I don't know, like, this seems really silly. Like, what is the point of this? Like, I'm having a good time, but that's not enough reason to do this for years, you know? And then I got to the end and I felt kind of punched in the gut. Like I I read it back and I was like, oh, this was like, did I just like pull a con on myself? Cause I just somehow accidentally wrote about all this like queasy family stuff that I would never willingly go straight into, you know? And then I thought, well, maybe that's the ride. Maybe that's the ride for the audience as well. So you've been making movies for about 15 years now after diving in from the world of performance art. What do you think was the biggest thing that you had to unlearn in your time as a filmmaker? Um, I guess maybe the idea that there is one way to do it or that there's a some real way that's different than what I'm doing, you know? And I think filmmaking because historically it's been so inaccessible and, and seemed so out of reach. It keeps this mystery that, that writing or painting or other mediums don't have. And yeah, yeah, I really think in a way only with this movie, did I feel totally confident on set being just myself? Like I I always was myself because I don't know any other way, but I think I felt more self-conscious in the past. Yeah. So speaking of the past, back in the day, uh, you were part of the Riot Girl movement in Portland. What has it been like watching the ongoing protests unfold there over the last several months? Super interesting. I think I was always aware of just how white Portland is and and what a racist history it has, like a real, you know, like it's a truly segregated city historically. It's interesting to see like it Like, if you live there, you know that. I always look at what's happening now kind of in light of what that felt like to, you know, to live in a place with that history. So you're very much a polymath in the way that you're involved in art and music and filmmaking and writing. Is there anything that you haven't tried yet that you really want to get into or maybe something that you tried and were just like, wow, okay, nope, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I mean, sometimes I think if I could only sing, I wouldn't have to do any of this. <laughs> like if I could just open my mouth and like have pure emotion come out, like, isn't that all any of us want? Um, but I cannot, no, one, no one's ever said like, Oh no, you're not so bad. Like, no, I, I deeply relate to that. <laughs> I, I relate to it, but yet I try and I regret it every time. And yet I try. <laughs> Well, Kajillionaire was released in theaters on September 25th and will be available on video on demand starting October 16th. Miranda July, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, we have time for one more thing. The music world lost an absolute legend yesterday when Eddie Van Halen of the band Van Halen died of throat cancer. So we're actually going to turn it over to our audio engineer, Dan Bauza, who's put together a look back on what Van Halen gave us. Eddie Van Halen died yesterday at the age of 65. He was both the reason every 12-year-old with a guitar wanted to turn their amp up and at the same time didn't need to. Born in Amsterdam to Dutch and Indo parents and then moved to the U.S. in 1962, where 10 years later, he and his brother Alex would form the band Van Halen. Van Halen went on to become one of the most commercially successful bands from the U.S. And one of the rumors that you're told if you started playing guitar at any point after Van Halen is that he invented what's called finger tapping. For those of you who don't know what that means, instead of plucking the strings with a guitar pick, you use your right hand to also play notes on the fretboard by tapping on the frets, essentially giving you many more notes to work with. And it sounds like this when he does it. What middle schooler wouldn't want to learn how to do that? Hell, I'm a grown-ass man, and I still want to do this when it's completely unnecessary. Now, whether or not he actually invented this technique isn't the point. What makes Van Halen so special is the many, many things that he innovated, not only in music, but also in the technology used to create it. One of these innovations came by trying to make his guitar stop feeding back. You know, that annoying squealing sound you'll hear sometimes when... Almost anyone is speaking into a microphone in a school auditorium. Eddie solved this by dipping his guitar pickups in paraffin wax in a coffee can in his mother's kitchen. Almost all companies wax pot their pickups these days, along with attenuating the power to tube amplifiers so it will distort without being too loud for small clubs. He was also the first person to hack up a Fender Stratocaster and put a Gibson pickup in it. All of these things together enabled Van Halen to write songs like Hot for Teacher. Panama. And later songs like Right Now. If all of this isn't enough, he also played the solo on Michael Jackson's Beat It. He worked for free and was uncredited, but you can absolutely tell it's him. 
I often think about how so many musicians from our time won't last in the collective human memory, at least not in the same way that Mozart will. But Eddie is different. His influence transcends genres, and even now he's achieved a status very few have. So rest easy, Eddie. And that's our show for today. And remember, the way the news is going, sweet guitar licks like that are the best thing you're going to hear today, so savor it. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.